Welcome back to the Field Goals Podcast, everybody. Dan Vian's joining you again, and uh, it's the end of the week. So it's time to look ahead to the Seahawks matchup, their Week 7 game in Los Angeles against the Chargers, and I will consider it a major victory if I can get through this episode without referring to them as the San Diego Chargers. Uh, we'll see if we can get the same type of performance out of our special guest today. Uh, Corbin Smith of All Seahawks and the fantastic daily Locked On Seahawks podcast. Uh, Corbin, we haven't chatted for a while. How are things? Going pretty well and uh, really looking forward to this game. I didn't think anybody really would be anticipating week seven. This was a game right. I had circled when the schedule came out like, this has a chance to be a bloodbath. And yet here we are yeah. going to the weekend and Seahawks are just one game behind the Chargers in terms of record and uh, been one of the bigger surprises. I th- it, it kind of exemplifies what's going on in the league right now. There's very few. There's only the one undefeated team in the Eagles and and uh, a lot of teams bunched up at two and four, three and three, four and two. In fact, most of the league is sitting in that range. And um, yeah, you're right. It, the Chargers look to be one of the favorites in the AFC at the beginning of this season. And it, it it's amazing just overall how things change. I mean, you did it. I did it. All of us who do this do it. At the beginning of the season, you go through the schedule and you pick wins and losses and get an idea. And I think probably just about everybody had this circled as a loss. But the Chargers are banged up. So are the Seahawks catching them at a good time? Yeah, they might have. I think that the key here is going to be whether or not Keenan Alley can play in this game or yeah. not. Because I still think he is a top 10 receiver. He might be the best route runner in the NFL. He can play on the outside. He can play in the slot. has great size. So him being 50-50 right now, whether he's going to be suiting up in this game or not, that's kind of a big storyline going into this game. But they've got their issues on the offensive line without Rayshon Slater at yeah. left tackle. They're playing a sixth-round pick in uh, Temory Sawyer over there. So they've got some injury concerns. Corey Lindsley's probably going to be back, but he's mm-hmm. been limited this week, still coming back slowly from food poisoning. So they do have some issues, Bosa being out on defense too. I think that is the biggest loss for them because if Seattle's rookie tackles had to deal with him and Khalil Mack, yeah. uh, you're probably not feeling near as positive going into this game. And Mack can still by himself be a destructive force, but not having to worry about both of them, that is a big win for the Seahawks. Lindsley's certainly best center in the offense probably when he's healthy. And it makes you wonder, what did he eat to get bad enough food poisoning to miss a game and be limited in practice still a week later? Uh, you touched on it with Keenan Allen. Always reminded me of Doug Baldwin kind of in, in his performance on the field and how he operates uh, as a fantasy football player. I've certainly known my frustrations of being a Keenan Allen owner because he's he's banged up a lot. Uh, and their offense changes when he's in. Um, their offense changed a little bit when Justin Herbert got hurt. Too. Got the the rib injury. Didn't quite look himself Monday against the Broncos. Last two games, just one touchdown, one interception. Uh, his numbers on the season are solid. 66% completion, 1,700 yards, 10 touchdowns, three interceptions. This is a guy that when he's right, is one of the best quarterbacks in the league. And uh, certainly a guy the Seahawks are going to have to game plan for. Yeah, Pete Carroll earlier this week compared him to Josh Allen. And obviously you look at the size and the strength, the athleticism. There's a lot of reasons why that's a good comp. But I actually look at a young Ben Roethlisberger when I watch Mm. Justin Herbert. And the reason I say that is because you look at the stats, pro football focus, he's been pressured 99 times this year. That's the most of any quarterback in the NFL. But he's tied for last among qualified quarterbacks being sacked just seven times. So getting pressure on him is one thing. Actually getting him to the ground 
that's a whole other different deal. It's just like Roethlisberger early in his career, just a Statue of Liberty that you can't bring down. Somehow had enough mobility to move around. I think Herbert's a little more athletic than what Roethlisberger was. But For still, sure. you see the parallels where he's just extremely difficult to get to the ground. And he's really good at improvising when he does escape a sack and you have busted coverage. He feasts on it and gets a lot of explosive plays off of that. So the Seahawks are going to have to be able to corral him and find a way to get him to the ground when they do get pressure on him. Otherwise, you're going to have those plays three, four, five seconds into the snap where your coverage isn't going to hold up and the Chargers still have enough weapons that they can create explosive plays. Makes you wonder, Seahawks had to devote a spy a lot last week in their scheme against the Cardinals to account for Kyler Murray, still ran for 100 yards. Um, and you touched on it. Herbert's athletic. He can move. He doesn't take off and run that often. He, he does on occasion. If he has to, he'll pick up a key third down with his legs. You have to wonder, though, with those ribs still being sore, uh, if you'd be a little more or a little less, a little more hesitant to do that. Um, what do you look for as far as the Seahawks defense in their matchup against this offense? Um, because we all want to see what happened last week against the Cardinals and that massive improvement between the lines carry over and we want to see it two weeks in a row. Arizona went out and hung 40 points on New Orleans yesterday. And granted, two of those scores came from their defense with pick sixes. But what's your take on how well this defense, the defense you saw last week with the changes they made, match up against this Chargers offense? I'm really I'm really curious to see how much carries over because I did feel like after rewatching the film Arizona really helped Seattle out in a lot of different ways going forward on fourth down and throwing the ball instead of running it against a defense that was the 32nd ranked run defense in the league going into the game. Now, granted, away from Kyler Murray having a couple big scrambles, their run defense was much better last week and seeing the defensive tackles like Puna Ford allowed to cut it loose and use their athleticism rather than trying to make them read, react to gap players. It didn't fit the personnel Seattle has. And so seeing them finally go back to letting those guys for Jefferson Harris really use their athleticism and penetrate between the tackles that really made a difference against the run and against the pass by pressuring Kyler Murray. Can they do that against the chargers? As I said, they've given up a ton of pressures. It's just been, they have not been able to get, the quarterback down opponents have not been able to get Herbert down and he's been able to stare down blitzes and he's a tough dude. He'll take big hits. Even with the rib injury that he's playing with right now, he will take big hits and he will throw the football downfield. And so you're going to have a major challenge on your hands there. And against the run, you know, Benjamin is a solid running back, but Austin Eckler is one of the most underrated backs in the league. And I think he is enemy number one going into this game, not Justin Herbert as talented as Herbert is. We've seen the issues Seattle has had with Alvin Kamara and Christian Mm -hmm. McCaffrey now is in the division, unfortunately, but we've seen guys like that that are dynamic receivers to go with being outstanding running backs really kill the Seahawks over the years. Kamara being the most notable and Eckler is the same style player. He is going to rack up a lot of yards after the catch. He has 15 missed tackles forced as a receiver alone. That's the second most in the entire NFL, according to Pro Football Focus. So this is a guy that when he gets the ball in his hands, can do a lot of damage. And the Seahawks, quite frankly, have been poor against running backs of that style. So he is going to be the number one guy that they have got to find a way to at least neutralize him some and not take over the game. You can't give up big plays on screens. I thought they did a good job against Kamara a few weeks ago, except for that 54-yard screen that they gave up. They can't have explosives like that in this game where they let Eckler get loose or it's going to be a tough day for the defense. Well, at least they don't have to prepare for a pass catching running back 
and a guy like Taysom Hill in the game plan at the same time. Um, certainly, it, again, it points out, I think, what you mentioned at the top of the show, that that uh, a lot is going to be uh, dependent on whether Keenan Allen can, can play and how dynamic that group of pass catchers will be for them. I know um, our old buddy uh, Gerald Everett is also down there and is, has looked good in that offense, but he's a little banged up. I think he's been limited in practice this week as well. Um, but it just... What we've seen from the Seahawks up until last week was the strength of that defense was their coverage and the young corners, especially. Um, and when they are getting pressure, for the most part, their coverage sacks. And if they can make Herbert have to take that extra second, as good as he is at manipulating the pocket, maybe those guys can get to him. I want to ask you this. You touched on the improvement in the defense in week six being based on a change in philosophy and approach. What took him so long? I, you know, a lot of fans are going to sit and ask that question. And, and certainly in the media room, we've been pondering that the last few weeks because I looked at the personnel and wondered, you know, when are they going to switch things back a little bit? Because you can't completely go back to the defense that they've had in the past couple of years right. midseason, but you can go back and use some of the techniques and try to intertwine it with what you were trying to install. And that's what it looks like they're doing now at this point. I think it's one of those cases where they didn't want to rush. They didn't want to move away from what Clint Hurd and Sean Desai wanted to do too early. you got to be patient. It is a long season, but – a five-game sample size is big enough, especially when you give up two 100-yard rushers in the same game, that you have to look in the mirror and be like, okay, we've got to do something because there's too much talent and experience on this defensive line for our run fits to be this bad. And I think that was the point where they reached where Clint Hurd and company are like, you know what? we got to let these guys play to their strengths, and we got to be more of a penetrating, attacking defense. And maybe they can go out and get some of the personnel they need this offseason to run the system he wants to run, but yeah. – they don't have the hosses up there away from Al Woods and Brian Monet. I think they have the nose tackles to run the system, mm-hmm. but they don't have the edge defenders, your three tech, your four eye defenders to consistently play that two gapping that you need to play in a read and react defense. And so I think they finally figured that out, but they were trying to be patient and see if they could get things working the way they wanted. And it just wasn't happening. You mentioned how successful that defense was against the Cardinals on fourth down last week. Brandon Staley, he loves the analytics, and he's a guy that goes for it on fourth down as much as anyone in the league, and sometimes in situations you would never expect. And they've got a kicker that's not 100%. I mean, he made, what, four field goals, five field goals in that game on Monday with the hamstring injury. Um, I'm not sure of his status this week. Let me know if you have an update. But but I would think that's... He's not supposed to play. I read three to four weeks, probably. That's something they're going to have to account for again and be ready for on fourth downs, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And it's been weird. The Seahawks, it's like every week they're playing backup kickers and they're getting lucky and missing out on the top one or two or three receivers that the other team has. Mm -hmm. So they have been fortunate in that regard and they could be again if Keenan Allen can't play in this game. And so, again, you got to take advantage of those situations when you play teams that are missing star players of that caliber. And when they're missing kickers, that really changes the way that an offense handles strategy. And we saw that with the Cardinals last week. I'm sure they would have taken some of those field goals if they would have had their normal kicker around, but they didn't have that luxury. And it doesn't look like the chargers are going to have that luxury this week either. And they're already an aggressive team. As you mentioned, that likes to roll the dice a lot. So I'm expecting plenty of fourth down aggressiveness from the chargers in this game. Let's talk about the Seahawks offense against chargers defense, Brandon Staley, a defensive guy hired there. Um, They haven't, really been that dominant, uh, 11th overall, uh, 14th in defensive DVOA. Um, they're giving up 350 yards per game and really, uh, as a rushing defense, they're bottom third of the league, giving up about 120 a game with Bosa being out. How vulnerable is that chargers defense? 
Well, you mentioned the run defense. I said this on our Locked On Seahawks podcast today. Basically, the Chargers defense has functioned like a dam made out of cotton balls. Like they just have <laughs> not been able to stop the run. The only team that they had success against kind of was the Denver Broncos and the Broncos have the worst offense, the entire NFL. So uh, they're, they're missing Javante Williams, Melvin Gordon mysteriously only got like three carries in that game. So I'm looking at that as an asterisk game more than anything. This defense has been terrible defending the run. The interior defensive tackles have not held up. Well, their linebackers cannot tackle. Drew Tranquil has 10 missed tackles this season. Kenneth Murray is the lowest graded inside linebacker in the entire NFL by pro football focus. And again, I don't put too much stock in those grades, but watching the tape, he has not been good. And neither one of those guys hold up well physically at the point of attack as run defenders. So this should be a game where KW nine is feasting and that interior line getting to the second level, popping linebackers. This team has given up a lot of long runs, kind of similar to Seattle's run defense. So Walker should be able to have a big game. I even think DJ Dallas could get in the mix too and bust off some big runs. This is a team you have to be able to run the football against given how much they've struggled. this year. And one thing to keep an eye on down there that was an interesting storyline on line on Monday is the Chargers went out this off season and gave um, blanket on his first name. They gave Jackson, um, JC Jackson. Jackson, the cornerback from new England, a ton of money to come in and be uh, a lockdown corner, gave him elite cornerback money he got benched halfway through that game on Monday. What happened there? Well, he's given up almost 350 receiving yards in three and a half games. He's been a disaster, which is shocking to me because mm. I think J.C. Jackson is an elite talent. But it just doesn't seem like he is meshing with the scheme, and they're not necessarily playing him to his strengths, and he's really struggled. There's been a lot of busted coverages, and this might not be the opponent to play against to hope to turn things around because yeah. he didn't have a great game with the Patriots against the Seahawks a couple years ago. And, oh, by the way, he's not a big corner, and DK Metcalf is going to be looking to have a big game. The Chargers have ran a lot of man coverage. If they try to do that in this game, and, and opponents, quite frankly, have changed things up playing Seattle. But if you try to play a lot of man coverage against this team with Metcalf, I think Lockett's going to be fine for this weekend. Okay. We'll find out in an hour or so from Good. Pete Carroll on his status. But – and D. Eskridge looks healthy, and he's finally making plays. With the weapons they've got, this defense is top 10 in yards, a lot of gets tight ends to go on top of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is not a great game for J.C. Jackson to try to turn things around. At the same time, it's going to be any game I expect that light switch to come on. He's a great talent. Getting benched, maybe that's the wake-up call he needs. He'll come up and play better. But yeah. this is not an ideal matchup for him. Seattle should be able to have some chances to get some shot plays downfield this week. I want to talk about the offense and I, and have it not be about Geno Smith. And that obviously that's been where all the attention is. And for good reason, it's the biggest storyline bar none with this team this season. But what about Shane Waldron? I mean, this is a guy that in his first season, there were kind of some stops and starts and there were some games that looked great. The initial game, the opener last week against the, the Colts, we thought, wow, this offense looks pretty cool. Right. And then it seemed like there was some regression. Um, it's been a long time in, in Seattle when fans haven't had a reason as kind of a, a side gig to criticize offensive play calling. You just don't hear that now. The way this offense operates, you see creativity, you see a consistency in how they utilize all of their weapons, you see a consistency in how they're attacking every part of the field, making the defense have to defend all four sidelines. Um, what are you seeing specifically from Shane Waldron that's, contributing to this offense being so successful. 
Look, I'm not looking to pile it on number three, but that is the issue <laughs> that's at play here. And that was one of my curiosities going into the season. I wanted to see what does Shane Waldron look like in a full season when he is playing with a quarterback that you don't have a very specified type of offense to play mm-hmm. to his strengths and try to avoid his weaknesses. And Russell Wilson certainly is a quarterback that checks off that box as much as any QB in the league. When he's on, he's a fantastic talent. But like you saw it again on Monday night against that same Chargers defense, receivers in the middle of the field, wide open, and Russell Wilson refuses to throw the football to him. And no. so I think what you're seeing, and I was critical of Waldron at times last year, but I think that we're now seeing that when you're an offensive coordinator in a Russell Wilson offense, you're hamstrung in a lot of ways. And I think at this point, seeing how much he's struggling in Denver, that a lot of people owe Pete Carroll an apology. I'm even going (laughs) to slightly take that. I was not on the full bandwagon. This is all Pete holding Russ back because the stats did not indicate that. But now at this point, it looks like, you know what? Pete had this set up to maximize the success for a player that is definitely a flawed quarterback, has some elite talent. But he also was very flawed, and now you're seeing that play out. You know when he doesn't have necessarily the best system around him, and yeah. a first-year coach in Denver. So I think that's the big thing. Shane Waldron now has his full playbook open, and he knows mm. I've got a quarterback that will throw the ball to my tight ends. And Brian Schottenheimer's got to be sitting in Dallas laughing hysterically right now, thinking about all those times in that playoff game against the Rams a couple years ago that he schemed up tight ends open, and Russell either didn't get the ball to him or it was inaccurate. Now watching Geno Smith run this offense Shane Waldron's doing, the whole playbook is open. That's really the difference. Shane Waldron's just got to feel like the chains have been taken off a little bit. I can run a true NFL offense that I couldn't run with Russell Wilson. It's fun. You can see it playing out on the field. You can see, you know, there were times over the last few years, regardless of who the coordinator was, where you felt like as a fan watching week in, week out, that the playbook might have had 10 plays in it. I mean, that, that was the lack of creativity we saw. There was a play Sunday, I think it was Eskridge's second catch, where he schemed up a play where he had Goodwin and Eskridge split out wide to the left, really wide. And it, it, it was clear. And then they sent a guy in motion to, to confirm that it was zone coverage. And Goodwin ran just a little kind of a, a screen, little stop and start screen kind of concept. And Eskridge just ran to the zone and it was wide open. And it's the kind of stuff that we're just not used to seeing. And it just... It just makes football easier, doesn't it? It makes it easier on the offense. It does. And again, I'm not looking to pile it on Russ because Russ yeah. did so many great things the 10 years he was here. Of course. I'm not going to be, I'm never going to downplay his accomplishments he had here. But there were clear flaws and there were clear things that the offense was not going to do either because he didn't want to yeah. or because he couldn't. And now those have been opened up with Geno Smith playing quarterback. He might not be the elite deep ball thrower to the boundary, although he's made some throws that have been very Russell Wilson-esque the last three or four weeks. Uh, You just, your entire offense is opened up and he is in full command of it. So I know you didn't want me to mention too much about Geno, but there is a relationship between those two. (laughs) Absolutely, Shane is able to do what he wants to do because he has a quarterback that can run the entire offense and he trusts him to hit the open guy. Now you hear fans that are starting to wring their hands a little bit about, oh, no, how long are we going to be able to keep this guy? What are Shane Waldron's head coaching prospects in this league, do you think? I think right now that fans shouldn't get too alarmed about the possibility of losing him. But if the Seahawks are in the playoff hunt deep into December or they're even competing for the division, because this division, quite frankly, does not look near as good as I thought it was going to be. It's pretty Mm -hmm. mediocre to this point. 
and every team's got some clear flaws. If the Seahawks are still scoring a lot of points, Geno is still playing well, there are going to be a lot of teams out there needing a head coach. The Carolina Panthers in particular, Carolina's got Scott Fitterer there, mm-hmm. former Seahawks executive. He's probably sitting there like, you know what? You had that kind of an offense with Geno Smith. Uh, sign me up. I don't know if he'd be ready for that responsibility yet, but if this team is in the playoff hunt late in the season, it is a very, very likely they're going to lose him because he's a Sean McVay uh, apprentice. Yeah. So those guys seem to get jobs every year. He'd be next in line. If they fall apart a little bit, then you might still have him on the staff next year. It's funny. I used to, th- I used to look at him and think, um, oh, we, we're probably okay for a couple of years. Cause he doesn't, he didn't impress me at first as, as a kind of guy that has that dynamic commanding personality that walks in a room and kind of attracts attention. But man, the more you watch him in press conferences, you just listen to him and you listen to how his mind works. It's how he's able to communicate those concepts. Yeah, they should be, uh, they should feel fortunate while they have him. Of course, you know, this is a subject for another day. We also have a head coach who's 70 years old and isn't going to coach forever. And there may be an opportunity right here in Seattle in the future as well. I want to ask you about something you touched on earlier. Last night, the big news in the NFL uh, with the trade deadline coming up on November 1st, um, the Carolina Panthers in full rebuild mode shipped Christian McCaffrey, everybody, most of the smoke was kind of directed towards the Buffalo Bills poking around. uh, And then the Rams got into it late. And then the Niners came in and did what they do and swooped in with a massive package of picks to acquire Christian McCaffrey. How does he fit in that offense? And what does it mean for the division race? If he is healthy, and that is a huge if, he's had so many injuries the last couple of years, but if he is healthy, the entire rest of the NFC should be freaking out about Kyle Shanahan having a running back like Christian McCaffrey, who's so dynamic as a runner and is such a rare weapon as a receiver with the way that they have been able to just rotate running backs and stay productive. They have not had a player with this kind of talent, the way that they create gaps, the way they use motion, how they deploy. I mean, look how they use use check, for example, like Kyle Shanahan's got to be just licking his lips about all the different flexibility that is provided to the offense with Christian McCaffrey out there can slide him out to receiver. You don't have to play Debo Samuel at running back. Now you can focus mm-hmm. on having him on the outside. I mean, it really opens things up for them. And I think it makes them a very scary offense if they can keep him healthy. And that's why the price that they paid all those picks, basically selling out next year's draft yeah. for a running back that has missed a lot of games is one hell of a calculated gamble by the 49ers. But if it pays off, yeah, this is the type of move that could get them a Super Bowl this year. It's that kind of an impact trade deadline move. If he's not healthy, they might miss the playoffs because you're giving up a bunch of stuff and yeah. it just puts them behind the eight ball. So there is a lot riding on this trade. They have truly gone all in by doing it. It Really, they've put all their eggs as if they hadn't before. They put all their eggs now in Trey Lance and Christian McCaffrey moving forward. I mean, that's what they're staking their claim on. Um Hopefully it wins me a fantasy football uh, championship as well. In the meantime, that was my first takeaway from the trade last night as a Christian McCaffrey owner. Uh, Let's talk about the trade deadline before we wrap up here. It comes up on November 1st. Seahawks don't have a lot of, they have picks, right? There's a question of of how closely you want to guard those um, next year. Um, But they don't have a lot of cap space, depending on where you look, just under 4 million after a little restructuring they just did this last week. What do you think the prospect, all the fans want a big move. And they're tossing names around as if anything is possible. But with a team that's unexpectedly 
in a potential playoff race, do you think that changes their approach at all and that we might see something at the deadline from the Seahawks? If they're going to do anything, it's going to be an under-the-radar move where they're shipping a sixth-round pick or something for an older player that can come in and contribute for them. Um, a guy that doesn't have a huge cap hit because, as you mentioned, I mean, I've seen a lot of people throwing Roquan Smith's name out there. Um, you know, if the right offer was there, I could see Pete Carroll and John Schneider having a lot of interest in doing that. But I, I don't see that move happening. I don't see him trading for Robert Quinn, who, by the way, is having a terrible season. Yeah, now, maybe doesn't, coming doesn't into have Seattle and playing for Sean Desai again. We saw what he did in Desai's defense last year. Right. Um, you know, maybe that turns things around for him, obviously, as a talented player, but. He's carrying a lot of money on his cap as well. So I just, quite frankly, Dan, I would be surprised if the Seahawks do anything at the deadline. I don't think they're going to, you know, maybe Sidney Jones gets traded away to a team that wants a corner. I could see that with Trey Brown coming back. But aside from that, I I don't see them making any moves. And I don't think John Schneider is going to overreach here like, oh, no, they got Christian McCaffrey. I have to go sell out and get Roquan Smith. You know, if the right deal was there, then maybe. But they're not going to be pushing the issue. I think they're playing the long game especially with this being a youth movement right now that is way ahead of schedule. I just don't see them trying to jeopardize that at all by trading away picks. And they just don't have a lot of cap space to begin with to facilitate a trade. Agreed. Well, my friend, uh, it's great as always to, to see you and catch up with you. And, and the information is always top notch. Uh, let the people know where they can see and hear your stuff. So you can find me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL five days a week. We're actually airing like seven or eight episodes a week right now. Locked Mm -hmm. on Seahawks. We're rolling Uh, Nick Lee and Rob Rang and I dishing out episodes at least one seemingly every day. So you can find us on YouTube locked on Seahawks also on Google, uh, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, all major platforms. You can find locked on Seahawks and still writing for all Seahawks. You can find that on all Seahawks SI at SeahawkMaven.com. Awesome. That is Corbin Smith. I am Dan Viennes. This is the Field Goals Podcast, Seahawks and Chargers Sunday. I'll be back after the game with my uh, rapid reaction and uh, see where they sit after seven weeks. Until then, keep reading Field Goals and uh, go Hawks. Talk to you soon. 